Thank you to our choir and instrumentalists for leading us in worship again this morning. What a powerful uh, morning we've had. If you think about the songs we sang today, it's all about Jesus being better, uh, Jesus being more. And the last song we sang, Come Thou Fount, I was lost in what? Do you remember? Utter darkness. What kind of darkness? The worst kind of darkness. I was bound by what? All my sins. How many of your sins? All of your sins. Until what? Jesus came and set you free. What kind of Savior is it who can say to the darkest dark, to utter darkness, to all of our sin, no longer? I'm setting them what? Free. That's the kind of Savior we have this morning. We sang another song that said, His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. And my favorite was the, the one the choir led us in. There's a line in there that just really landed uh, in my heart. It said, and I've got it wrong, but what shall we say into the grave or what shall we take into the grave? Is that right? Something close to that. Christ, what? He lives. Christ, he lives. That phrase trumps everything in all creation. You know, we can say to our deepest sin, his mercy is it's better. It's bigger. We can say to utter darkness, guess what? He has set me free. But I'm utter darkness. Doesn't matter. Christ is more utter uh, than you. <laughs> uh, and we can say even to that grave, to the one that would want to hold us forever, to death, hell, the condemnation, we can say, guess what? Christ, he lives. Praise the Lord for that. It's true this morning as much as it was last week. And there's a reality to it that ought to change our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that together this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Thessalonian letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a group uh, at a place called Thessalonica. Uh, this is uh, like many of the early churches, uh, was a struggling church. They were very fearful, a very fearful church. If anything marked this church, it was fear. They were afraid they had learned a little bit, uh, and uh, they believed that uh, everyone was going to live until the day that the Lord returned, that Christ came back. And all of a sudden, saints, Christians, began to die and be laid in the earth, and they became fearful that they weren't saved because they didn't live to see Jesus return. And if they weren't saved, if those saints and godly folks in that church weren't saved, then certainly they thought, I may not be saved either. And they were desperately afraid. They wrote to the Apostle Paul with several questions. And it is out of that context that he is writing them back about the return of Jesus Christ, also called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord uh, is a phrase repeated through Scripture. And the Old Testament is very powerfully described as a day when God with finality, with absoluteness, will bring judgment upon the wicked. All of those who've gotten away with so much for so long, there will be a day when God returns and executes his judgment and his righteousness will be the standard in all the earth. Many will bow the knee voluntarily, but those who do not will be made to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus as he establishes his rule and it will be absolute. Let me read you just a, an excerpt from the prophet Malachi. Among many prophets who talk about this day of the Lord. For behold, in Malachi 4, 
The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. Stubble is just very fine uh, pieces of remnants of wood or wheat, uh, something that will burn quickly. All the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will be, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall rise with what? Healing in its wings. You see a a duality that heat uh, is the metaphor here. The day of the Lord is going to come with a, a fierceness of heat. And for those who are evil, what will it mean? It it will mean terror. But for those who are righteous, who belong to God, it will mean the sun of righteousness is rising with healing on its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This text goes on to call the day of the Lord a great and terrible day. And so there will be a day, and the day is fixed, the Bible tells us, when Jesus is going to return. And these people uh, were, were worried about that. And the apostle writes to them and says, Listen, here's some encouragement that I want to give you in light of the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. And it ends, uh, the, this whole text here ends with an admonition to encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another. Doesn't sound very encouraging this day of the Lord, does it? We encourage people by going around and telling them, I like your, what, your handbag. Does anybody call them handbags? Is that just me? Purses. I like your purse. Um, like your, did you get a haircut? You know, pat people on the back and we encourage people that way. This is a much deeper encouragement it has to do with the fact that jesus is coming back when i was in first grade i was in miss barrow's class at mcbrien elementary school the l had fallen off uh, the sign it just said mcbrien elementary school which is about right uh and so (laughs) miss barrow was my favorite it still is my favorite teacher just a, a wonderful lady um and I don't even know if she's with us uh, anymore. But um, one day in her class, I remember she left. And sometimes when she did that, she would assign someone to take what? Names. Right? There was a girl in our class named Beth. Anybody in here named Beth? Good. Um, <laughs> Beths, you need to look out for Beths. You, you know what a Karen is, right? <laughs> Beths are worse than Karens. And she would leave Beth with the list and said, Beth, you take names while I'm gone. That was an encouragement to all of us in some way or another, right? You don't want to be on the list. And with Beth taking names, she was the prudish, I mean, most like little baby doll, you know, ponytail, little put together thing. And she had high standards. (laughs) She'd put your name on there for for about nothing. When Miss Barrow came back, the list came from Beth to Miss Barrow, and we were all reminded, what? This is my class. This is Miss Barrow's class. And if you were on the bad side, that was an encouragement. Hey, I've done something wrong. 
I'm guilty here. And if you were not on the list, it was an encouragement to stay off of the list. That, that how you behaved in Miss Barrow's room had everything to do with the fact that she presided over that class. And that's the encouragement that's uh, at hand here. That's what we're looking at today. Not a pat on the back and, hey, your shoes look nice today. But a, a, an urging, an on to courage, encourage, to send in courageously to the task of living for Jesus, knowing that this is his kingdom under which we live. And so let's read this together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1 and drop down to and, and go through verse 11. If you don't have a Bible today, these words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in your life, uh, we have some for you in the back on the table. No cost to you, just a gift from our heart to yours. Take that with you if you need it. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. They're asking, when is this going to happen? What are the signs? You know, what, what's the time periods? And he says, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come unexpectedly. Why are you asking about the times and the seasons and the moments? You already know. Calm down. You already know it's going to come when, when, they, when they don't expect it. When an evil and uh, an unwatching world has no clue that it's going to happen. In fact, when they're the very most complacent, when they're all saying, ah, oh, the peace, ah, oh, the security we experience, ah, oh, the affluence we have in our time, ah, oh, the needs that are all met, it, 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 that's going to be the time. When destruction comes out of nowhere, like a thief in the night when no one's alert, when no one's looking, and they will not escape. But you are not darkness like they are. For that day to surprise you like a thief, you're going to be ready. Verse 5, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, let us keep awake and be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain a salvation, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What are we supposed to do with one another? According to this text, we're supposed to be encouraging one another. With what? Under what? Under the notion that Jesus is coming back. How are we to do this in light of what the Bible teaches here? There are four parts I want us to go over this morning. The first part is this. We see a reminder to be ready. There is a reminder here to be ready. It's not encouragement outright. It's not soft and fluffy. It's an urging on, a reminder 
to be ready. The Bible tells us that, that we are fully aware of the, the nature of the Lord's return, but we are not of the darkness to be surprised of it like they are. There are two groups of people who are going to experience this day of the Lord in very different ways. And the Bible gives us three illustrations of unreadiness here. The first is the thief in the night. The, the, the Lord is going to come upon people who are doing what they do at night. They are asleep. And when you're asleep, are you ready? You ever woke up and something has happened that you weren't aware of in your house? A pipe has burst or the power has gone out and your alarm didn't uh, sound? You weren't aware of it because guess what? You were asleep. Anybody ever break into your house at night or maybe when you're away on vacation? You weren't there. You weren't alert. You weren't poised. You weren't ready. The Lord's going to come like this. And those who experience it, those who are wicked will experience like a thief in the night. They were not ready. They were sleeping or they were drunk, so to speak. Their senses were dulled. They were indulging in, in sin and, and all the blessings of this broken world. And they were not alert to pay attention that the Lord may be coming. A thief in the night. People who are hollering at complacency and peace and security. Who are just enamored with all that we've accomplished here. All that our government can do and all that our schools can put out and, and all the availability of and all the nutrition and everything that we've done, they're not looking at all for the day of the Lord. And the last one is this. Like labor pains that come on a, a lady who's expecting a baby, right? They come, on, they come when they come. I mean, you can't stop it. And if you want to get away from it, guess what? You can't because something within you brings it with you wherever you go. When the day of the Lord comes, that's going to be what happens. Maybe you remember being a dad and letting your kids punch you as hard as they want to. You ever done that? Your kid, your boy comes up to you and says, Dad, can I punch you? They do that, you know. You say, yeah, you can. Can I punch? How hard can I punch? I say, punch, you, punch me as hard as you want to right here. I got plenty of, of padding here, you know, but and you stiffen up real good. And, <clears throat> and if you're going to play this game, you need to be careful, guys. You need to be careful of two things. The zone needs to be well-defined, okay? And also the time needs to be well-defined. You can do it now, but you can't do it anytime you want. This happened to me. We played, I played this game with probably all three of my kids. I think Livy punched the hardest. But uh, um, we did this all three of them, and, and, and they would punch you. And you'd be ready, you'd be braced, and hey, it might bruise a little bit, actually. It might hurt a little bit, but you didn't let them know. But one day, we had done this, and it was a big family gathering. I was at the counter uh, making a, a plate, and we turned around, and all of a sudden, ba-boom, right to the gut. I defined the place, but I did not define the time. And guess what? I wasn't ready. Uh, th th this is the notion here. There is a reminder that we are to be ready that the Lord in certainty is going to come. Look at Psalm 10 with me, if you will. You may not see it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. This is the, the wicked's perspective on their own sinfulness. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, verse 4, there is no God. That's what the wicked says. He's not ready. He's not braced. It's not coming. 
There's no danger. His ways prosper at all times, Psalm 10, verse 5. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. For all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Why does the wicked renounce God? Verse 13, and say in his heart, you will not call to account. Verse 14, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. No more frightening words in all of Scripture than verse 14. But you do see. We are a people who ought to be ready for that. There are those who hear this, who say, hey, uh, this is going to happen. They hear it uh, like the evil person here. And when the day of the Lord comes, there will be suffering there. But among the people of God, we ought not look like those people. As they operate in a broken world, we ought not to resemble them. Why? We know he's coming and we should be ready. There is both a comfort and a challenge here. The apostle does want to encourage them. He does want to comfort him. But there's twofold messaging. Christians do not need to fear the day of the Lord because God has made us aware of his coming. Praise God for that. We know he's coming. But the second message is this. We should prepare for it. We should be careful not to slip into living according to the complacent and dismissive attitude of a world in darkness. Jesus is Savior, but he will come again as judge. There's a reminder here that we are to be a ready people. But secondly, the second part of this encouragement is that, uh, a warning here to be alert. We are to be an alert people. Being ready involves avoiding two key traits of nighttime people in areas of sleep and sobriety. Both of these, sleepiness and, 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 not, and lack of soberness, have the effect of leaving us unresponsive to spiritual threats and opportunities. We're not like them. Those of the night, guess what they do? They sleep. They don't hear from the Lord. The Lord could be barking at them. The Lord could be calling. They, they, they're not interested. They're people of the night. And when they're not sleeping, they're not even sober enough. They're just drunk and imbibed on the sinfulness of this world that they don't even pay any attention to the Lord. When I was 16 years old, I was sleeping in my bed. I had a little Chevrolet, no, I had a little Nissan by that time, a little Nissan Stanza. Anybody remember the Nissan Stanza? Johnny does, good job. Uh, it's, an, it's a little mid-sized Nissan. It was tidy enough, and I loved it. I mean, because I had, I had upgraded from a Chevy Cavalier, which was terrible, to a Buick Skylark, which was okay. But it was light blue. I mean, it was a total old lady car. I'm sorry. I know there's no old ladies in here. But if you were, uh, I don't want to insult anybody. But, and then finally, my aunt and uncle said, we will sell you our old stanza. I love this car. We lived on a busy street, but there was a little slip-off, kind of a driveway, just slip-off there by the road. And I parked there. I came out the next morning, and that car was folded in two. I mean, I'm not kidding. 
I mean, somebody had come up up the hill during the night and just mashed that car. I've never seen a, a single car accident just happen like that. We're just, just sitting there, just there it was. And I thought, well, I won't be driving that anymore, right? How did that happen? The police came and said, we think it was a drunk driver, and he just came up the road and, and didn't see it. And uh, how did I not hear that, right? It was, it was really right out my window. I would have heard that, certainly. The, the loud co collision and the crash and the lights and the commotion. I didn't hear it because I was asleep. This is the condition that we're to be uh, uh, warned about here. That we're not to be so complacent uh, like those uh, who are in this fallen world. We're supposed to be different from that. We're supposed to be alert. The Bible says, let us then not sleep as others do. But let us be awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And so day and night here for the believer are not pictured as cycles like we might think of them. Because I'm going to sleep tonight. The day and night in this text are pictured as kingdoms. We belong to the day and as such, spiritually, we ought never to be sleeping. Spiritually, as those who belong to the kingdom of the day, we ought never to be drunk on the things that this world just wants to pour in us. Because as such, we will not be alert and ready for the coming of the Lord. See here, as those that Jesus bought from darkness to light, the things that matter to our returning king must matter to you and me. We must live in a status of alertness always to the current reign and the coming return of Jesus. This is his world. There's a warning to be alert. But there's a prompting to be protected here as well. In verse 8, a very concise statement here, he says part of this alertness to live as people of the day is not easy. It requires us to prepare in a certain way, to put on the breastplate of faith and, the, and of love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. There's protective equipment here. It's like a Kevlar helmet or a bulletproof vest that a police officer might put on. It's to prevent the people of the day from becoming like the people of the darkness. It's to prevent us in a, a fallen world to ourselves bearing the marks of fallenness. I was going through the car the other day cleaning it out, and I found in one of the little hidey holes in our minivan a, a, a bag, a grocery bag. I pulled it out. It was full of masks, homemade masks that Miss Johnny Holsey made, a bunch of them uh, here at our church. Store-bought masks, masks I got at the doctor's office. We kept dozens of them in the car. Uh, why did we do that? COVID. And we had a family of five, and everywhere we went, you had to wear masks. And so we had those masks. And I thought, man, that seems so far away now, you know, when all that was required. You remember going to the grocery store? And you'd see people wearing masks. And, and then the government started saying, no, you need to wear two masks or four masks. And then they started saying, you need to wear these these shields. You remember people wearing those shields? It reminds me of those dog collars so a dog won't bite itself, you know? <laughs> people wearing these plastic shields plus a mask. Plus you go up to the cash register and there's a, uh, a plexiglass barrier there. Uh, all of that 
uh, was to protect us. You, we walk through Kroger and you see like an astronaut walking through, you know, <laughs> buying peanut butter uh, to protect you from, uh, from COVID. All of that was so when we go out, the uninfected don't become what? Infected. So those of us who are healthy don't go out into the world and, and by virtue of, of that exposure become what? Unhealthy. They're the uncontaminated family of five and in their safe and secure minivan don't go out into the world and have all of their everything just filled with viruses. That's the meaning here as well. Uh, we are not to go out into the world and become contaminated by the world. That doesn't mean we don't live in the world. That doesn't mean we don't love the world. That doesn't mean we don't pray for the lost, talk to them, know them, work with them, and enjoy them. But it does mean this. There is a prompting here to be protected. We are to put on something. We're to put on a protective gear, uh, a covering, if you will. And if you look at these two coverings, it's amazing. We are to cover our heart, our, the breastplate, and we are to cover our minds in this context. The only two are listed here. Over the heart, faith, and love. How are we to, to deal with a lost world? Through faith and through love. We're to go again and again to our faith. We're to love and love over and over again as Christ has loved us. Faith and love so we don't become cynical. We don't become rigid. Uh, we don't become ungodly. We love as he loved us. It protects us against misguided love and lust and, and all kinds of sin. We, we cover ourselves with faith. And with love. And over our mind, what do we do? Over our mind, we put the helmet of what? The hope of salvation. How are we supposed to think about this world? That Christ is coming back. That we have a certain hope that one day there will be finality in our salvation. Christ is returning. We're to cover ourselves up. How do we do that? We do it daily. We do it first thing in the morning when we get up. We do it when we're brushing our teeth, when we're talking to God. We spend time with him. We go to his word. When is the last time that you got up in the morning, brushed your teeth and doing all your things, and walked out with some of the most important articles of clothing on? You went barefooted to work, right? Or you woke up in the morning and you smelled your morning breath, and you just said, eh, I'm going on, you know? I think Miss Barrow did that a few times, uh, my old teacher. But we, we don't do that, do we? We don't get up and do, uh, but But when is the last time you, you got up as a Christian, a, a transformed believer in Jesus Christ, launching out into a fallen and desperate world, and you said, well, you know what? Uh, I'm in a rush today. Lord, uh, I'm coming to you in prayer this morning, and oh, my mind's just not in it. And we walked out, no breastplate of faith, no breastplate of love, no helmet of the hope of salvation, no, no filter to help us interpret all that we experience in light of the return of Jesus Christ, the hope of our salvation, the son of righteousness with healing on its wings, none of that because we didn't put on the protection. There's a prompting here to be protected. And if we are not deliberate and disciplined about launching into the world as prepared people, we will return from it changed people and not 
for the good. Living as people of the day requires us to do something, to put something on. The Bible says elsewhere that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the protective garments that he's given us. But lastly, this encouragement involves a promise that we are saved. There's a promise here that we are saved. Verses 9 and 10. He ends with an encouraging, a truly encouraging line here. For God has not destined us for wrath. They were worried, remember. Maybe we're not saved. He said, no, God has not destined us for wrath or assigned us for wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a nuance here. You say, well, I've already obtained salvation. I mean, I was saved and I was baptized when I was 15 or 8 or 23, whatever. But we have also yet to take hold of that final promised salvation. There will be a time when the Lord returns and all of that uh, comes to fruition because of what he's going to do. We are not, God has not destined us for wrath. The day of the Lord's going to come. Wrath for one group salvation for another but we are to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live for him here's the assurance the bible is offering to them they're afraid if we die does that mean we're not saved and so the apostles writing here to say whether you're awake uh, this is another metaphor night and day whether you're awake or asleep, whether you're living or you've already gone on, we, will li we, we still live with the Lord. They've died. Are they not with the Lord? No, they're with the Lord. If I die, am I going to be with the Lord? No, you're going to be with the Lord. Don't worry about that. That was their fear. Uh, our problem is a little bit different. Modern Christians kind of face an opposite challenge as the early Christians did. We're pretty comfortable with letting God handle our salvation after death, right? It's not the sleep part here, whether we're awake or asleep. Uh, the sleep part, we're okay with. God's got that. We've trusted him there. But it's the awake part that is our challenge in the modern world. It's living with him, as the Bible puts it here, living with him as we still occupy this flesh and this life. Lord, sure, yeah, I know you got, you know, my obituary is going to say he was a member of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, and he was a Sunday school teacher, and it's going to say, I, you've got that, Lord. But we're less comfortable with him making a real difference, a difficult difference in our lives while we're awake, while we're living in this life right now, not in the future eternity, but in this life for this moment you know it's uh, about to be prom season uh, and you know all that means there's two peas in springtime in georgia first is pollen and the second is prom and we're about to have prom upon us i just want you to know i'm shutting down my facebook for a month uh so i don't have to see all the prom stuff but you uh you get ready for prom girls and guys who's anybody going to prom this year okay so if you're going to prom, some things happen, right? You got to get ready for it. I'm, I've made a little list here. Let me see if I'm right or not. You got to get your picture set up, don't you? You got to have a get the camera person and the, the, the background. 
you know it's going to be a bridge with a stream underneath it, right? You know that. Uh, you get a background, you get a picture person, a photographer. Uh, you got to get your shoes, just the right shoes, you know, not too high, not too low. You're nodding your head, I'm, I'm on the right track. You got to get your hair done. Y'all know what that means? You got to get your nails just right, all the choices of nails. It's not just getting them painted. You got to choose the shape of those things. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of choices now. And price tags for those choices. You got to get your hair uh, done, you got to get your nails done, and you got to choose just the right jewelry for prom. And that's just the guys. Uh, the <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the girls. But the guys, you got to buy tickets. You got to get those early or they're going to run out. You got to, if you're bringing somebody from a different school, you got to get a form filled out to bring somebody with you from another school. You got to get a corsage and You've got to think about transportation. If you don't have a pretty car, you borrow your mom's car, you wax it up, you do whatever you've got to do. You get a tuxedo, you decide which cummerbund or vest you're going to get. You've got to decide where you're going to have dinner, all of this stuff, right? Here's the, here's the um, illustration. You don't just, ba-boom, show up at prom. Prom is not just a, a destination, there's a lot that has to happen long before you get there to the, to the doors of that place and give them your ticket and you go inside. It's not just about then. It's about all of this nowness that you've got to faithfully execute before you get there. And the picture here that I want you to see is our life with Christ. And that's what it says here. That he died for us so that whether we are awake, alive, or asleep, dead, in this, in this sentence right here, that's the picture, whether we're awake or asleep, that we might, what, live with him. It's not just like, when I die, I'm going to live with him. I mean, in that uh, glory and Beulah land, and all, it's not just all about that day. It has so much to do with way back here, starting at the moment of your salvation. Christians must remember that our life with Jesus is not merely the destination. It is a transformation, and it ought to show up in this life now. Do you believe that today? Do you believe you ought to go from here this morning and, and, and not be some uh, light dweller who just appears by, to, by all evidences to be a, a person of the darkness? Do you, do you believe that, 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 that the Lord Jesus is returning? That that great and terrible day of the Lord is coming? And that for some, I mean, it, they will be like, like fodder, like chaff against the heat of his glory and his holiness. But for others, it will be the sun of righteousness warming your faith, affirming who you are in him, reminding you that you live with Jesus because he died for you and gave his life for you. And there will be healing on its wings. Healing for what? All the suffering, all the loss, but really healing for all the persecution for all that it has cost you to live as a child of the day among those of the darkness, all the cuts and bruises and losses, all the shame and embarrassment, all the times that you stood out for what was right when everybody mocked you to do what was wrong, there will be healing 
on the wings of the Lord as he returns in righteousness. It's not all about that day. It's so much about where we are right now, where we are back here. This week, I was pushing a wheelbarrow up, my, up the hill over here. And the parking lot guy, we had the parking lot resurfaced, you know. And praise the Lord for that and for all who made that possible. But we had it done, and it's beautiful. And I love to look at it. I was pushing my wheelbarrow around with some bricks. We made a little garden in our yard. Anyway, uh, we did that. And the, the parking lot man came up, and he came over. I had an armload of bricks just like this. I mean, stacked up to my chin underneath it. And at that moment, he wanted to have a conversation. You know how that is. So there I stood, and we talked. Great guy. I hope, are you here today? <laughs> Sitting next to Beth. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he came up to me, and he said, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years, and we're going to make it look good. And he did. He said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give it a, a few weeks to settle, and I'm going to come back, and we're going to, uh, what did he say, um, get detailed with it. He was going to you know, make sure everything's okay. And, um, and he said something that really was nice. It was a very nice thing to say. He said, uh, I said, well, it's beautiful. He said, well, hopefully it'll get you some more people. And I know that's a nice thing to say. I know his heart was nice there. And I appreciate as a for him to be, as a businessman to try to identify with us uh, and our needs as a church, as a customer. I mean, that's impressive. But I just chuckled to myself um, that the parking lot was going to bring, what did he say? I hope this gets you some more people. It may do it, you know? And I hope that's true in the very best way. And they come here for and the, the, the right reasons and everything follows through. But I, my biggest fear for myself and for our church, not that there's any, any uh, risk of this, I'm not saying that, but my biggest fear is that we'll be a superficial people, that I'll be superficial, that all you have to do is slap a coat of black on it, put some nice lines on there, and guess what? This is the place people want to be. Or that I'll go out in my life, and I'm a child of the day, but superficially, that's all I am. Truly, inwardly, and, and truly in my spirit, I'm just a worldling like, like the rest of everybody else. That's a true fear that I have for us. And I don't think it's based in reality at, at this moment, but there is a warning here that we are to encourage each other. Not a pat on the back, but that we're supposed to be talking about and living out and showing the example, I'm going to live my life in light of the return of the Lord Jesus. He transformed me. He did more than a nice coat of paint could ever do in my life, and I belong to him. Life group leaders, those with influence in our church, dads, moms, senior adults, are you setting the example of living in light of Jesus' return? Do your kids see a seriousness in your life? This is not about, all about Chick-fil-A and, and, and all, all this outside, outside, but there's something different in you, that you are living with the Lord Jesus and you are waiting for him to come back and you want to be found in the light. Students, on the front row, young adults, families, is there evidence in your life? I want to ask you this seriously. Is there evidence in your life that you belong to something greater or is it just superficial like everybody else around you? In the lunchroom, 
the car wash, places you go on the ball field. Is there evidence there that you, your life belongs to something bigger? Are you living as a citizen of an eternal kingdom? Or are you pretty indistinguishable from everybody else who's living for this kingdom? And for all of us this morning, are we moving to the music of this world? Or are we following in earnestness? Are we following the voice of the Savior? There's an encouragement here this morning. Here's the encouragement for those who need to move back into the light. For those who are already living in the light, the encouragement is this. His coming will reveal it. And I ask you this morning, are you ready for that day? Let me pray for us. Friends, this is a hard text today, especially after Easter. Such an encouraging day we had last week, and I hesitated to preach this text this week because I thought, man, this is, this is kind of heavy. But the Lord wants those for whom he gave his life and for whom he forever triumphed over that grave to live in the true light of that. And to be discernible to a watching world, to our enemy, the devil, and to be discernible to the, the Lord when he returns, who belongs to him and who does not. And so I ask you today, are you a child of the light? If that's you this morning, praise the Lord for that. And if you need to move into the light, maybe for the first time, wouldn't you come to Jesus today? Lord, we thank you for the word of God and for trusting it to us. I pray that you will uh, use this message and what you've done this morning uh, for your glory, for our good, to change us into the likeness of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, you're invited to respond.